welcome to this episode of IG Talk with Robert Smallwood, where we feature interviews with IG leaders from around the globe, as well as discussions of IG news, events and best practices. Hi, today on the uh, podcast show, we have Ashton Addison, uh, founder of the Crypto Coin Show. Uh, welcome to the program, Ashton. Thank you so much, Robert. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, and so we're going to learn a little about crypto. And, uh, you know, I, I, I met you uh, in the jungle in Tulum, actually. I went to a, <laughs> the Tulum Crypto Club in uh, April to a couple of meetings. And you were just a riveting speaker. I, I was focused. It was just fact after fact. And it was it's really interesting because you're, you know, you're outside, you're in this kind of jungle environment, everybody's dressed casually, shorts and stuff, smoking joints and and, and talking crypto. And uh, uh, it was fascinating. So I'm really, really happy to have you on and appreciate you being here. And uh, your background, you're founder of Crypto Coin Show. You also have that syndicated on uh, Reuters and you're an advisor for a couple of uh, altcoins, I believe. And, yeah, uh, a couple of different service level applications here and there on, in, in blockchain and cryptocurrency and, and try to dive my foot into all the different industries that, that blockchain is innovating in. Mm-hmm. And you have a master's degree in digital currency, Bitcoin and blockchain. That, that's interesting. You got that in Cyprus, you said? Uh, out of yep, Cy- out of Cyprus. Cyprus. Uh, I didn't, you don't have to go there because it's all online as is the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, mm-hmm. But um, it the, the certificate is on the blockchain, which is super cool. And and I think it's uh, recommended to check that out for people that want to learn more about crypto officially as well. Uh-huh. And uh, just for our listeners out there, most of them are pretty much uh, boomers, I would say, and 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 older. Most of us, uh, most people don't understand what is crypto? What is cryptocurrency? And I've had people ask me this too. Like, what is it exactly? So uh, <laughs> how, how do you define it? Uh, it's it's a really tough question to answer for people um, because, you know, often people that don't understand Bitcoin, um, the people that really understand Bitcoin or that love it are the ones that understand the current financial system. And, they, and then they have a, a, a difference to compare to, right? And it's often the people that despise the current financial system that are in love with Bitcoin because they understand that it's contrasting, you know, and, and, and Bitcoin cryptocurrencies and altcoins uh, and blockchains are all different things that all need different definitions. And it, it takes a whole course to explain it. And I'm sure Nicosia could do it well. Um, mm. But, you know, one of the reasons that Bitcoin makes a great digital currency is because the supply is finite. And we understand that there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins. And we know that every 10 minutes, as the blockchain sends a new block out, when transactions are verified, that new Bitcoins come into the system, right? Mm-hmm. Versus the traditional financial system with uh, with fiat currency and US dollar, a small group of people decide how much to print whenever they want. And yeah. that's the major difference between a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin that we understand the supply and uh, a currency that is, is printed by a small group of people, you know? And the, the crypto part of it also has to do with the cryptography uh, which is the mathematics and, and the computations that verify the integrity of the money to ensure that when I send you some Bitcoin, I no longer have the same Bitcoins. You know, when you have a computer um, and you're sending a file to somebody over an email, you know, it 
it the the problem with that is that you always have a copy of the file as well right. and it's hard to how do you verify that you still don't have uh, the the money when you send it and that's why the in the centralized banking system you go through a bank and they ensure that the original person no longer has that money uh, when they send it to somebody else but when you do it peer to peer you need to use cryptography and game theory and something called Byzantine general fault tolerance um, and the, solving the Byzantine general problem, all things that you can look up if you're trying to learn how Bitcoin works and how digital currency works uh, to ensure that you have a currency that follows all the proper properties of money. Uh-huh. It's very interesting. Um, I mean, I think the reason we're in this inflationary period is because the Federal Reserve just pretty much doubled their balance sheet in the last year and a half. They just they just decided they're going to print more money. And, you know, that has to have an effect at some point. And now it's having that effect. And I was kind of surprised during the Tulum Crypto Club meeting that, you know, there is this sort of undercurrent of, hey, uh, you know, there's a potential crash coming in the in the conventional, traditional uh, financial system. And so we're preparing, uh, you know, to offset that. We're preparing for for any any kind of uh, disaster or change in the traditional financial system. That was interesting. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's sort of a part of the Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency and, and cryptographer culture that they understand um, that they would rather trust technology and, and, you know, economics built into cryptography than a small group of people that may or may not have their best interest in mind to preserve their own wealth and take control of their finances. And, you know, there's still a lot of people that are in uh, Bitcoin and blockchain that are in the traditional financial system and I'm very much a part of it. It's, it's hard to be completely separated, um, but there's a lot of people that I know that are going full crypto and not, you know, the joke on, on, on social media in the crypto scene is, you know, you, you can't come to the crypto conference unless you have at least less than $1,000 in your bank account. You know, you can't be a part of the old system anymore. Um, although it's, it's a lighthearted joke, um, it, it seems like that's the way that these people that see that this is the future of finance are moving towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's actually moving into the mainstream. Fidelity Investments, which is the largest provider of retirement plans in the U.S., uh, they're, they're now allowing crypto, uh, Bitcoin specifically, to be um, purchased and held in 401ks, which is the retirement accounts in the in the U.S. And and then we see uh, you know countries like Jamaica and El Salvador and and even the city of Miami, I think, uh, went on to uh, create their own. Uh, their own uh, crypto coin, or uh, in, in the case of Jamaica and El Salvador, they're using Bitcoin. They've standardized it. They'll they'll take that as uh, legal tender, and uh, and so it's spreading. Looks like definitely, and I, I you know, and for people that aren't really deeply involved in and in, in don't first, I you know, what I like to tell people that are first getting into cryptocurrency, understand how Bitcoin works, and and in contrast, understand how the traditional financial system works, and then from there, understand how Ethereum works. And, you know, because Ethereum is a different use case than Bitcoin, they're not competing with each other. You know, one's more of a reserve currency, one's more of a world computer, really, that allows you to have decentralized applications, programmability and smart contracts that allows for uh, a new financial system to be built on top of, right? Whereas Bitcoin is, yeah, Bitcoin is more the currency, uh, which to to use as a a store of, of, of wealth. Um, and, and Ethereum is more of uh, a world computer that can program all of 
the stock market, um, the derivatives and the financial system can all be reprogrammed and tokenized onto the Ethereum blockchain and to be faster, cheaper, and, and more efficient. And, and that's totally not uh, a competing with Bitcoin's use case, but it does open the door to trillions and, and, and quadrillions more of more wealth to be deposited in this kind of technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that could be applied to do things like uh, exchange car titles or purchase a home or uh, any of those transactions that now are very opaque and take a long time. You know, just a mortgage, you know, just going through that uh, takes a long time. It's a lot of steps, whereas we'd have a, a lot faster. I think one thing Michael Saylor was saying is just the, 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 the rapid, the, 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 the fastness, the, the quickness of settlement on the blockchain with, with Bitcoin is so much faster. It's something like 40 times faster than if you just use a regular credit card, which might take, uh, you know, a, two days uh, to settle. And um, so that was that was an interesting, uh, interesting bit. And, uh, you know, would you classify Bitcoin, would you classify it as a, a commodity or a security? And the reason I'm asking, it's kind of a leading question, is the U.S. government right now is drafting uh, legislation. And what they're talking about is 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 categorizing categorizing it as a commodity. And that kind of doesn't really jive with the fact that people like Michael Saylor at MicroStrategy have crypto, have Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And so uh, what do you say about that? Definitely. Um, yeah, it's a it's 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 a fought over topic, and I think it each country will make their own decision on on how they classify it. And uh, you know, there's one thing specifically to note before I answer this is that there's a major difference between Bitcoin itself classifying that as a security versus a, a commodity, and also mm -hmm. Ethereum, which is sort of tied into that. <clears throat> there was a a former uh, a judgment on Ethereum saying that. It, it, it was a security, but now because it's more decentralized to the point where, uh, you know, the centralized authority being the Ethereum foundation in this case doesn't really have influence in, or control over it, it is now not a security, right? But when you look at companies that are raising money, starting their own cryptocurrencies and the 10,000 tokens and cryptocurrencies that have been created, 90% of them on top of the Ethereum blockchain, because it's very easy to do so, that's a whole nother discussion because often they're using it as an alternative to raising capital as they would normally through securities and equities. They're using it as an alternative. And that's when people are starting a company, that's a whole different question than is Bitcoin a commodity versus a security. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I don't believe Bitcoin is a, a security um, and, and, you know, I'm not a lawyer, um, and, but looking at the American, you know, like what they say is you've got to follow the Howey test, which just has like a couple different points. If you look up, what is the Howey test? And it's totally outdated because it's from way before the internet even really. And, and Bitcoin as a whole new asset class, you know, often traditional economists don't understand and are are so against Bitcoin because it's a whole new asset class which developed through technology which didn't exist when they learned about economics back in the day. Yeah. So when something new comes in, um, you have to rethink and rewrite the books, yeah. right? And so it it's it, it's actually more of a question of is it a uh, a currency or a commodity, right? And because if it's a 
commodity under some government regulations, then when it appreciates and you're buy, you know, if you're buying day-to-day things, as people that are in to into Bitcoin for the long, long term, they see it as a future world currency. And you know, as in Forex, uh, if there's a small appreciations or depreciation of a currency, um, whether you're going to the store to buy a coffee, you don't have to pay uh, an, a capital gains tax on that appreciation of that asset when you're buying your coffee. But if Bitcoin is classified as a commodity and there is an appreciation, then when you buy your coffee, that's considered selling your asset and there's a capital gains tax on that. So that's actually more the question. Um, but and, and it's still sort of yet to be determined um, that it actually is a currency. Um, uh, but it, you know, I think there still needs to be, we're still very early on, you know, uh, the, these traditional fiat currencies have had, uh, you know, at least the current form of the U S dollar hundred years, but thousands of years. And, and, um, as they've been forming and sort of, um, building a foundation and, and Bitcoin is really only at, you know, a dozen years or so still very, very early on in, um, in, in having the legislation and the old people who, who sort of run the system catch up to technology that's moving at an exponential speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so um, I'm wondering, uh, with this new Ethereum change, uh, when they go from proof of work to proof of stake, which is coming up pretty soon, right? Is, is, uh, is that going to change the ballgame for Ethereum? It's supposed to, you know, um, but the, the analogy they like to make, you know, it's very complex change. And I think um, people should really study uh, the proof of work, um, which is the consensus mechanism that verifies the transactions on the Bitcoin network, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, most people agree there is nothing in cryptocurrency as strong as as the Bitcoin blockchain and the proof of work that verifies it, right? And, And currently, Ethereum is also using the same proof of work. Um, in, in a similar way to verify the transactions. The downside is it eats up a lot of energy, right? They say it does, um, but but relatively, it's it's hard to tell because there's a lot of bias in the people who are putting that information out. Um, you know, and they're the same environmental companies um, that say that we need to save our uh, you know turn off our taps for ten seconds uh, when when really eighty percent of all of the uh, emissions are being used by a small group of corporations that that do most of the uh, of the damage to to the environment. So mm-hmm. you know there there's a lot of um, it, it, and the, the same people that run the energy industry, which you know it powers the world, um, don't want Bitcoin to be a good source of power because actually a lot of people are using it to power. I don't know if you've seen in El Salvador, they're actually using their volcano energy to mine Bitcoin and, um, and, and Elon Musk started the green energy sort of, uh, uh, a consultation of groups of companies to build a more renewable energies for Bitcoin. Um, but I, I really don't think that it's, um, in, in comparison to the amount of energy that it's used, um, just for all kind of manufacturing and all of the other industries, it's Mm -hmm. not that much, although it does use some, um, switching to proof of stake with, with this Ethereum merge, which has been delayed many times, it will could very well be delayed for another year or two years. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, the analogy they make is like it's an airplane that's flying through the sky, and they're going to try to change the engine to you know uh, a Tesla engine from a gas engine in the middle of flying without yeah. the plane crashing. 
right? And there's a lot of moving pieces to that. So they need to be very careful in how they do it to make sure that it's done properly. And um, it, it, it's, you have to really look into uh, the, the costs and benefits of, of changing into proof of stake um, from, from proof of work. And it, it, it's a long discussion, um, but I think that it potentially benefits the people who have a lot of Ethereum already, because then they're able to stake very easily and have uh, uh, better returns. And I, I don't think it's as going to be as fair as with the proof of work, because you don't actually have to put in work, you know, you just have to stake. Um, but it, it's a whole long discussion to get into, but that's sort of my short thoughts on it. Okay. Hey, um, so it was interesting when I was at the Tulum Crypto Club, um, presentation after presentation, that seemed a lot of the, you know, they were talking about privacy with phones and, and security, and it was a lot about privacy and security. And that's what we deal with a lot with information governance, which is where I'm situated. That's my field of study. So I was trying to look for some kind of intersection between crypto. And when we talk about the value side of information governance, we talk about getting to the data or even the metadata of unstructured information and trying to harvest new value from that. And can we, is there some, and now there's these data brokers that are emerging out there that are selling data. And uh, I'm just wondering, is there, you know, some intersection there between crypto, which can be on a balance sheet and data, which so far is worth a lot, but can't be put on a balance sheet yet. Mm-hmm. Is there some uh, intersection there? There's some use cases. There's definitely some great use cases coming out um, that are related to data. And, you know, part of moving into using this kind of technology uh, for the people, you know, if you ask the people that use uh, Bitcoin and, and, and Ethereum and, and, and more specifically the privacy coins as well, which sort of totally obfuscate your, your financial information. You know, Mm -hmm. some of the most uh, important information, personal information that we carry is our financial information. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, right now, and, and for, for the, foreseeable future, Bitcoin, although it's considered a pseudonymous uh, blockchain, that means it's sort of semi-anonymous, but not really. Um, it's it's pretty easy for chain analysis companies and, and um, crime prevention companies to t- f- see if they know one of your Bitcoin addresses or your, uh, your address on the exchange, they can just look through the blockchain and tie all of your anonymous addresses together to sort of see all of the addresses that you own and, and where you're spending. Um, and with other privacy coins right now, like, like Monero, that's not possible. Um, so that's one aspect of the, you know, fi- sort of keeping your financial information to yourself more. Um, but on, on the, more of the personal information side, um, one of the greatest use cases that is, is up and coming right now and, and eventually will be the norm is login information and just personal identifiable information um, that you use when you register your account on uh, websites, you know, and I've had a couple different great uh, new startups in Web3 on the show recently that Mm -hmm. are building decentralized identities. And they talk about how login information is such a mess in Web2 right now that people who are power users, we have like 500 different accounts and yeah. we have to use a password manager to have 500 different passwords on, on emails and none of the accounts speak to each other. And all of them are a vulnerability for getting hacked. You know, um, 
Facebook was hacked, LinkedIn was hacked, most of the um, like big platforms all carry millions of people's information and they're all points of, of uh, attack for uh, hackers to steal people's personal information. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and most people that have, have had a, an account on, uh, on a, any website have, have at least been hacked once. And, and one of the websites I like to use to check that as well is have I been pwned.com P W N E D have I been pwned. Um, and you can type your email in there and it shows you how many times your email address has been in a hack and it can, you know, and I've had some emails that have actually been hacked over 25 times. Um, and it shows you, Oh, your, your email address, your home address, your password, your phone number have all been compromised. Um, so with these web three startups that have been on my show recently, they're now building decentralized identities where um, you can take your wallet and then you can change the, the hexadecimal address like zero X FBY, whatever your Ethereum address is, that's really not human readable into a readable address like ashton.crypto. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it serves multiple purposes. First of all, it sort of hides your, uh, actual Ethereum address. Second of all, it can be used as an account to log in to websites that have integrated Web3 logins. So you can now use one account, which will just be your wallet address on, you know, instead of log in with Facebook, log in with Google, it'll be log in with your decentralized identity. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, only you have access to the personal information I know what they like to say in in the in information governance of like the black box of your information that you control and being able to provide only the information that the company, uh, uh, you know, the, the website that you're logging into, only the information that they require and not any of the extra personal information that they don't require. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that, you know, uh, I've recently had unstoppabledomains.com on my show. And they have built out uh, a great decentralized identity platform that, um, as I mentioned, you can use it as a wallet. It also doubles your, your, your username, also doubles as your website because it's actually a domain. Um, for example, CryptoCoinShow.Crypto is one of my decentralized identity websites. You can type that in in the URL bar. And that actually is a website. Uh, plus, it's, um, it can actually double as a Bitcoin address and Ethereum address um, and other blockchains as well, all in the same username. Um, and you can log into different websites that have already integrated unstoppable domains. Um, and, and you own the domain and it, you never have to renew it like you do with GoDaddy uh, and it expires every year. And then if you forget to pay, they you know somebody steals your domain or you lose it or you don't actually own it. If you look into the ICANN, uh, you know, sort of like top level domain um, info governance on, on that. A, a lot of websites, you don't actually own them. The, the, the people who own the top level domain own it. Mm-hmm. Um, but with decentralized identities, you can own it. Yes. So there's many use cases with sort of decentralized identities, moving from one, uh, you know, from 500 logins to one login, um, doubling as your bank account, your website, your login, your, your personal information, black box, and, and everything else. Yeah. And uh, safeguarding your personal information while doing that, right? Yeah, that's going definitely. To be, that's going to be a great development. That's going to be nice. Hey, um, I, really, I could talk all day about this with you. It's it's really interesting to me. 
But uh, also, let's let's pivot just a little bit. I saw on online that uh, at some benefit you played lead guitar and vocals. So uh, you do a, um, some musician stuff too. Yeah, for sure. I you know that was a little bit back in the day, um, but you really you know crypto is fun and I love it. But it's good to to have a diversified portfolio in your skills as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, I I mainly play uh, I sing mainly and play guitar. And have sort of sort of shifted from the uh, the the bar band cover songs in you know '90s rock to more new age sort of folk and, and spiritual kind of music as they do in Tulum. Um, if you've yeah. ever been been to that side of Tulum, um, but um, yeah, it, and you know, um, I, I I love to do that, and you know, to be able to influence people with not just your your brain, but but your voice and, and your music, I think, is is a great gift as well. Interesting, great. And right now, you're uh, you're where? You're where in the world? I am getting ready for the ETH Barcelona conference uh, in Spain currently. Okay, cool. And when are you going back to Tulum? Uh, probably at the end of the summer uh, when the uh, the seaweed is a little bad in, in Tulum yeah. for the summer and it right. gets a little hot. So, uh, but the you know we. I speak every week at the Tulum Crypto Club, and I will be there uh, in the near future as well. And I, let me say, it's one of the best uh, crypto clubs I've been to in the world. And you know, I have spoken at a dozen con- in a dozen countries, and there's nowhere like uh, Tulum on the beach with uh, people that love crypto, just um, being free and, and and talking about you know the future of of freedom and technology and currency. And it, it really is um, like a family of people there. Yeah, it's very fun and interesting. It's a great vibe. That whole tribe is just uh, very laid back, but also very intellectual and um, and and certainly in pursuit of privacy, security, and and freedom. You know? So thanks very much. Appreciate you being on the show and have a good conference, uh, Ashton. And uh, I'll see you in Tulum. Thank you so much, Robert. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you for listening to another episode of IG Talk, the leading voice in the industry, which features IG leaders, news, events, and best practices. Tune in next time to stay up to date on the changing world of information governance.